Read the Future Conversations is providing this podcast for educational purposes only. Read the Future is a nonpartisan, not for profit. It neither takes any position on any political issue nor endorses any candidates, political parties, or public policy proposals. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Read the Future. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Read the Future employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of Read the Future or any of its officials. Welcome to Conversation Season 2, Episode 1. Uh, today, our goal is to help our audience become more familiar with the perspectives of young professionals. Um, I am honored to intru- I will be honored to introduce my friend and guest for today, but um, I believe he can do a much better job. Jake, please um, introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Jake Gonzalez. I am a field service engineer with ASML. Uh, if you've never heard of ASML, uh, we are a photolithography company, which uh, is a fancy phrase for we make big machines involved in chip manufacturing for the semiconductor industry. Uh, we work with um, Intel, Samsung, uh, TSMC, who makes chips for Apple and other companies and uh, everybody else. I went to Arizona State University, graduated in 2019, and uh, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, well, Jake, you, you mentioned quite a few things there. You, you mentioned ASML, photolithography, um, as well as um, big machines, you know, like just a few key, keywords to point out. But uh, how can you help the audience get to know exactly how you came to where you are at now? Like um, prior to ASU, where you had, um, you know, a, a special te- technical school? Or how did your family help you get to where you are at? Uh, personally, my family helped a lot. Um, they set a lot of good examples, a lot of um, just a lot of exposure to uh, technology and engineering and the different industries at large. Um, uh, you know, my, my first exposure probably was my grandfather. He was an engineer at the Palo Verde uh, nuclear plant for decades uh, until he retired a while back uh, his son my uncle uh, still works there as well uh, my mom worked at the university at Arizona State where I would end up going to school to get my degree uh, she ran an outreach program which uh, let me talk to people from all different majors you know the students i got to talk to the professors i got to talk to i got to see the labs all kinds of stuff uh exposure basically like every you know facet of stem from a very young age and uh and you know my extended family as well i can't count how many of my cousins uh also went into engineering or have uh some kind of stem degree um you know, Derek, you like me, we were uh, CSEs. Uh, but fun fact, I was actually the third of my cousins to get a degree in computer systems engineering. That is and, interesting. And another one of my cousins just started, I think, this year. Uh, I mean, I, you, you had a variety of exposure at an early age, and and definitely. you chose computer systems engineering just like myself, right? Um, what sort of drew you to, um, to uh, CSE for short? 
Um, well, a couple of things. Uh, I always tell everyone the short answer because this is 100% the truth. Uh, I knew I was never going to go. I thought about a master's, but I knew like PhD is not really going to happen. And master's, I didn't know if I wanted to stay in school for four years um, or for more than four years. And um, eventually I was looking at all the different programs. And I couldn't make up my mind. So I did a Google search for highest earning bachelor degrees. And number one was petroleum engineering, but I don't like chemistry. And number two was uh, computer engineering. But besides that, uh, when I was in high school, you know, I took a coding class. I really liked it. I thought that could be something I would be interested in uh, doing professionally. And um, yeah, it kind of drew me to it. I would get into the program and learn I don't actually like coding at all. And I much prefer the electrical engineering side of things. But yeah, no, that was uh, that's the that's the short version. And that's that's actually like very I think um I don't want to say thank you for giving us a short version, but I believe that a lot of people can can um find some sort of relation right to 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 really how you navigated pursuing your um college degree pro- programs, um and 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 one of the things that still 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 that stands out today is really that um disconnect between education and industry um you are you're obviously no longer in um in in college you know you shied away from pursuing a phd program but looking uh, looking back now as a young professional at asml how would you sort of i think um identify some of the areas that you think man like um they are totally getting it wrong or uh, in terms of preparing um future engineers for the um for their uh, prospective industries yeah well um i think and i know they're working on it i um i was a teacher's assistant undergraduate teacher's assistant um while i was at asu and i talked to several of the professors and i know there are people in education that have worked in industry that have spoken to people in industry and know there is a disconnect um and it really starts with uh setting the expectations as to what is relevant knowledge what is uh necessary knowledge and what are what makes a well-rounded engineer so the kind of two schools of thought i've seen are that what's relevant is knowing just as much as you can and what makes a real well-rounded engineer is knowing purely technical knowledge but as much as they can and you kind of get that from the you know your traditional professor who's there as a researcher primarily but just also teaches their heart's not in it to teach that's 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 I'm sure some of them are great professors. I had some that were very, very good. Um, but a lot of the professors are there not to teach, but to research. So when they see all these students coming in, they just wanna say, here's something. I'm gonna show you a thing. I'm gonna show you how, if you're in programming, how this data structure works now, you know, kind of get out of here. Whereas 
there are a few professors, primarily in my experience, uh, what they call adjunct professors who are there like solely focused, not on research, but just on um, teaching. Just there, They're just there to lecture. And they come in, a lot of them have worked in the industry and they're like, yeah, I know the course has you do this, but that's not really what your job role is. I remember one of the biggest gripes was um, professors in the CSE program and in computer science that didn't understand why we were giving these kids, um, this is just an example, but every major has it, um, graphic interfaces, right? So that's learning how to make the little pretty buttons on a program and all the kind of visual things that you see. Well, if you're a researcher, you're not really thinking, what are these kids gonna do out of school? You're just thinking, hey, let's show them stuff and the more technical skills we can get them, we can call them you know, full stack. They can do front end, they can do back end, they can do whatever. That makes them marketable and we'll ship them out. Well, that's not uh, an accurate representation of the industry. And if you talk to some of the people and some of the professors that have worked in industry, they will tell you full stack, not a real thing. And ultimately, graphic interfaces are easier to learn if you have a better understanding of the fundamentals of just how software works and how coding works and how all this uh, goes. So rather than cram just as a little bit about a bunch of things at the intro level, we really got to focus on the fundamentals of, you know, what's happening uh, on a physical level, right? When you put in code, it's not just magic numbers that make pictures appear. Those get interpreted into machine language and the binary, actual bits, actual electrical signals are physically moving on your CPU and we kind of get ahead of ourselves. There is a, something to be said for being like well-rounded and learning a lot, but once you get to higher education, you're at a point where the price point and the um, like time you have in a in a semester don't allow to just explore, especially not in technical degrees, explore for the sake of it. Like you need to think about what are practical skills, what are we going to do. And it then comes down to, all right, what is a computer scientist or a computer engineer? What do you need to know? What makes these degrees different? What do we have to do to get you to where an employer thinks you'll be? Because that brings us to part number two. Part number one, we don't need to sum up, sorry. We don't need as much, um, you know, filler. Like we had K-12 education to introduce you to a variety of topics. You're in, you know, post-secondary now. You are supposed to be specializing. You are supposed to be very direct. You should be spending more time on the fundamentals to go very deep in just a few subjects rather than be broad. That's a short version. Uh, Point number two is where do we end up? Where do we finish these people and say, you know, stamp, we're calling you an engineer and sending you out into the workforce. Uh, And that, to me, has the issue of, again, disconnect with the industry because I've seen a lot of companies that just don't know what they're teaching kids in schools anymore. I've gotten a lot of advice from people that are 20-year veterans uh, uh, in the industry, but they've worked all 20 years at one company, so they don't really know what anyone at an entry-level job is doing anymore. And... uh, 
let's say you're at ASML, let's say you're a field service engineer, what we've had recruiters tell new hires is, you know, yes, there's a lot of troubleshooting and data analysis, and it's a very self-driven, problem-solving kind of job. And that's completely true. But what they don't tell them is once you solve the problem, this isn't school where it runs in a simulation and you say, hey, it looks like, you know, I looked over all the electrical schematics and it looks like this cable might be bad and then you're done. Well, if you're a field service engineer, once you determine that, you got to go climb into that machine and replace the the, the, the cable. Um, and that's another topic that like. And we're finding these people that were taught very well in school how to do all the math don't know how to use like hand tools and whatever and they never had to physically build anything because if you're at arizona state for example if you're a mechanical engineer you probably physically built a um uh, i believe they built a wind turbine like in their first semester um but if you're a cse you program uh lego robots both very very cool both very very educational but drastically different in terms of how well those two majors will adapt to this job. And uh, that there is this disconnect of, we think tech job, you're going to be just sitting at a desk. We think, you know, aerospace job, you're going to be drawing schematics. You think um, mechanical, even then, we, we, we think it's all kind of planning where there's a lot of other kinds of work. Uh, it's not all done in simulation. A lot of times you're going to have to physically repair something or you have to physically build a prototype of a new product. You have to you know, physically get in there. And that's something that schools don't have to do anymore because they have to do everything in theory. And those, uh, are, those are some very, I think, eye-opening viewpoints, right, where you are basically um, looking at the mental picture of 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 a student, um, but you are also looking at how um, the lack of preparation from a professor um, also applies to really um, um, providing um, workforce that doesn't really uh, meet the requirements of industry. Um, and you also mentioned some very important um, topics here from 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 um, from the um, K to twelve introduction into topics, which humanities can be a, a great connection there. Um, but also really looking at how uh, the motivation to just really provide marketable. Um, um, applicants, right? But to also now like change the conversation now into what you were getting into, um, which is the engineering con- condi- conditions as well as the mental picture of the student stu- of 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 grad- graduates. Um, when when we look at um universities um degree pro- programs constructed in in the mid twentieth century or later, um, it's it's quite obvious that they were not designed to to support. Uh, interdisciplinary, collaborative, entrepreneurial dy- dynamics of modern um, engineering um, uh, um, work environments. Um, one one example that I personally believe um, delivered on on providing an interdisciplinary, collaborative, entrepreneurial dy- dy- dynamic was uh, 
CSC for for twenty three. Um, systems capstone. Um, that was a very dynamic course where it was hands on, but also strongly emphasizes on collaboration. Can you give a, a little bit of viewpoints on on what you think? Um, there's there's also that disconnect with entry level, whether it's entry level or whether it's um, season season veterans. First, I actually want to get back to uh, what you're talking about with uh, capstone. I think that connects to the first point very well in an example of how a course should be done and is being done that's actually very very good um connection between uh industry and education because uh different colleges can do it a little bit differently but the way uh, our school way arizona state uh, usually does it is a company they will reach out to these companies and say we have you know these students are about to graduate and they need to do a capstone project and the company will you know sponsor the students they will send one of their engineers kind of check in on them and then over the next several months the students will actually make a prototype of a product or a proof of concept or something like that um or uh, in my case what i did was work with a phd student to work on one of his group of concepts for uh, uh, this, like robotic system that could identify objects and whatever else we were doing. But um, that was a very good one because you're seeing what companies are doing right now. What are they working on right now? You're able to talk to them very one-on-one. -on -one. You're able to um, get a better feel in some cases people would even get jobs based on these product projects uh so i think that's a very very good example of how we should be doing because we should have a lot more frequent input from and and that, that might sound like a much more like easier way of hiring right the best candidate where you have seen them um work on projects uh, right while in college but you have also seen them um adjust to different environments based on um realistic um setbacks but for for your case um you are now at asml what sort of um um setbacks do you see in in your team team environment or in your work environment uh what setbacks in terms of um, teammates, right? Uh, do you do you think in your work environment, um, like uh, certain um, alignments are not there? You you mentioned the example of um, having to go and fix a machine means you are having to go inside the machine. But if one of your teammates is in um, competent or doesn't have the right mental picture of what they are getting into, would that necessarily um, how would you uh, adjust to to that? 100%. Um, you'll have cases where you're sitting there uh, in the clean room and, and, and to kind of describe a clean room, if uh, any of your listeners are not familiar, uh, it's in semiconductors also sometimes known as a fab or a fabrication lab, and that's where all the machines run to make the chips. Um, it's very important that when you're dealing with 
microchips are made of transistors, which is an electrical component that could be, you know, I think the smallest ones made right now are like three nanometers. Uh, something that tiny, you can't have any kind of dust or dirt or anything in the air. It's going to ruin the product. So <clears throat> you'd go in what's kind of clean room. It's a big room where there's air filters. You got to wear this like hazmat suit type thing. It's hot. You're sweating even if you're just standing still. So you're, you go in with somebody that doesn't really know what they're doing. Uh, yeah, you can start to get very irritated, you know, and then reminding yourself, hey, you were new at 1.2. You didn't know all this. And that's just people skills, which uh, I think, again, can go back to education of sometimes we think a well-rounded engineer just knows all the different things, like technical-wise. They know a bunch of different technical skills that they can build anything. I don't think that's the best engineer. I think the best engineer is someone who's competent technically and competent uh, soft skills wise. Someone who has hard and soft skills will make an infinitely better employee, period, uh, technology or otherwise, uh, than someone who only has one or the other. Um, and. Uh, and going back to like our earlier con uh, topic of really that, that disconnect between education and work workforce, right? Um, when professors are really trying to get a, a full stack um, student, right, marketable, um, really focusing on building that building those te technical skill sets. Um, but you just mentioned that soft soft skills are really what makes the best candidate. Um, if you could please highlight more into that area in terms of are you focusing on communication or was there a course in college that was outside of your um, your 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 te technical um, uh, um coursework that that you would recommend to um, engineers that are currently preparing to join the workforce. Um, I, I want to pull up a definition to share with you here. So by definition, soft skills are personal attributes that enable someone to interact effectively and harmoniously with other people. So what I would ask is what skill or what job, what position would not benefit from, you know, better communication, uh, better people skills better conflict resolution. These are all soft skills and these are all things that help you. Uh, so in the case of when I was in college, um, I actually just needed to fill a couple credits one semester to keep my scholarship. And I ended up enrolling in uh, COM 101 or COM 110, I believe it was, COM 110, COM 110. And it was interpersonal communications and easily one of the best classes I have ever taken. Um, not just for my personal, or not just for my uh, career, but for my personal life. It has been a lifesaver because it dealt with all those things. It dealt with conflict resolution, it dealt with how to talk to people. And in engineering, more often than not, you will be on a team. And in engineering, more often than not, you're going to be on a team with a lot of people who are not necessarily team players. You know, Derek, you've uh, you've been an engineer, you've been to engineering school, you've seen a lot of the people here. 
a lot of them, myself included, kind of prefer to keep to themselves. They kind of prefer to do their own thing. And we always think we know better than anybody else. And our way is always the best way. And, you know, these people are usually pretty smart. So I don't want to doubt them. But everyone's wrong sometimes. Everyone can be difficult sometimes. Everyone, you're going to come across um, a lot of people that have never been told that they were wrong about something. So when your idea doesn't necessarily mesh with theirs, there's going to be, you know, some sparks are flying. And, you know, that's where those soft skills come in. How do we kind of diffuse the situation? How do I not escalate something unnecessarily? And how do I reach a resolution that helps the whole team become a better team, right? Now, personally, in my career, you know, I've been at ASML pretty much since I graduated, and I think we have one of the best teams uh, at the site, my personal team. Um, I think they're all great guys. There's very, very few cases of anyone kind of button heads. Uh, but anywhere it happens, um, and... When it does, you got to be ready. So yeah, I recommend every engineer takes a communications course, one hundred percent. And and you mentioned some really valuable um, insights there as to really some of those environments that engineers get placed to have, um, be on college, right? Um, I remember, yeah. remember some of my 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 college courses where we would have assignments and projects and 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 team collaboration was really not encouraged but it was also advisable to work in teams, right? But that also highlights one of the disconnect between the um, education environment and, and the work environment. And and it's quite known that uh, the path to success in the US is often associated with, with one's educational accomplishments. Um, these standards has provided a blueprint for young people especially myself and yourself included, um, graduate high school and a bachelor's degree, achieve higher career outcomes. However, we have really now discussed some, some of those disconnect between education achievement, workforce outcomes that threaten economic, mo- um, economic um, um, mobility. I, looking into the future now with you, Jake, what sort of... Um, 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 hopes do you do, do you have for our future engineers to really find that bridge between um, education um, and industry? Um, well, <clears throat> like I said, I think a lot of this can be bridged by um, the university is kind of consulting more with industry, taking advantage of those connections that I know are there. I know a lot of people that became professors after working in the industry for a while, and you know, people have hopped back and forth, and just you know, you have the resources out there to get a better picture of what's going on, and I think we need to be teaching toward that end goal of getting a job. Um, now, you mentioned, you know, the so-called blueprint, you graduate high school, you get a uh, bachelor degree, you achieve a higher career outcome. 
Um, I feel like that's been debated a bit lately. Uh, if that is the blueprint, I've seen a lot of discourse regarding what the purpose of higher education is, um, where some people firmly maintain it is there to get you a job, get that job at, you know, a higher earning potential than your peers that just, that just did not continue after high school. And then other people will argue it's to, you know, expand your horizons and to meet new people and to, um, you know, just better yourself as a person. And I think, you know, for whatever my two cents is worth, uh, I think given the just, you know, economically the way kind of society runs, if you're doing something that even in-state tuition in most states is going to be at over $12,000 a year, um, at that price point where you're looking at, you know, sixty dollars to $100,000 for four or five years of education, I don't think it makes sense to look at it as anything other than a means to get a higher earning job. I think if you get to meet cool people, like, hey, I met you, I met a lot of people in college. If you get to learn something about yourself, I think that is all a plus. That's a that's icing on top, but you're, uh, or it's the cherry on top, it's the icing on the cake. But yes, you're there ultimately to get a higher earning job. And I think we shouldn't lose sight of that. Um, but that being said, uh, I, I, I do think the disconnect is damaging even that potential for people who went in thinking of it as kind of like a business move, people who went in, hey, I'm going to get a degree, I'm going to get a higher earning job. When that degree does not prepare you for that higher earning job, now the higher education has failed on all fronts because they did not prepare you for the job. They were too expensive for you to really worry about preparing for life. So uh, we could have a whole, uh, I think we're running out of time, but I think we could have a whole other conversation about right, right. <laughs> where that leads, which is and, terrifying. And no, and and you are right. I mean, um, a very fascinating topic here, right? And I believe that, yeah, time is run, run, running out. And just to close it off now, Jake, I mean, wonderful presentation, wonderful topics here. Um, as, as briefly as you can answer this question, um, what what is uh, engineering literacy um and and how how can the audience reach out to you via social media uh what is engineering literacy yeah like have you ever heard the term like engineering or or um um semiconductor literacy some something that has to really i think um um, give the audience that behind the look of really what an engineers, what engineers go through. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. So I assume it's along the lines of uh, you know, technological literacy or anything else. It's just your, you know, it's about your ability to understand, um, you know, technology and engineering, and, and what people 
in the industry are trying to say and how the machine works and how you know it's a it's about how well you you can understand when I try to tell you how the figurative sausage that is your foam gets made. Um, I think it's a very important topic the way the world continues to become more globalized and we become, and technology becomes more ingrained in our day-to-day lives. I think it's extremely important that people become more engineering and technologically literate, that they learn what these companies are doing, how these jobs work and what role it plays because uh, you don't know um, some random service engineer, uh, but his work every day is, you know, bringing you your uh, 5G signal and your phone and your Wi-Fi and whatever else uh, I use to ignore my actual job while I'm watching <laughs> <TikTok>. <laughs> And and thank you, Jake, so much. I mean, just um, are you on social media, Instagram, or would you want your guests to reach out? Uh, would you want the audience to sort of like, if you know somebody has a question on a few other things that you have touched on? I know we are short short on time. Um, uh, yeah, of course. Uh, you can get me Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Gonzalez Jake, it's just my name backwards with two underscores in the middle. So good. So G O N C A L E S underscore underscore J A K E Gonzalez Jake. Well, Jake, I appreciate you being um, a guest today. Um, honored to have you. Uh, thank you, and 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 um, uh, talk to you soon. Thank you, Jake. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Read the Future Conversations is providing this podcast for educational purposes only. Read the Future is a nonpartisan, not for profit. It neither takes any position on any political issue nor endorses any candidates, political parties, or public policy proposals. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Read the Future. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Read the Future employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of Read the Future or any of its officials.